Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Angie's going to be leading today's conversation with special guest Nick from The Open Space, and they're going to be talking about the topics of embodiment and somatics and how they can interact with and inform our tarot practice, as well as just what do they, those terms mean? They're words that we hear a lot in wellness space and spiritual space, but maybe we don't always understand the nuances and the definitions that different people have for those practices. Nick, who uses the pronouns they, she, is a Virgo sun, Cancer moon, and Scorpio rising who identifies as queer and gender fluid. After longing for more experiences of genuine connection and authentic exploration with others, Nick created The Open Space, a platform where they share their gifts as an intuitive embodiment guide, writer, and community organizer. You can find more about Nick's work at theopenspacelancaster.com. And I also want to offer a quick reminder that this Sunday, we're going to be kicking off our new In Search of Tarot book club. For the next three months, we'll be reading and discussing Charlie Claire Burgess's new book, Radical Tarot, which is currently available to purchase wherever books are sold. And there is also a link for $5 off your copy in my bio on Instagram at In Search of Tarot. We've broken our reading schedule into chunks for each month. So for the month of October, we're going to be reading the introduction through the Hermit chapter. And Angie and I will be releasing a special episode where we'll be discussing those chapters towards the end of this month. But if you're anything like me and you don't want to just listen to a conversation, you want to be part of it, I hope you'll consider joining us over on Patreon, where we will be hosting a virtual book club hang at the end of each month so that you can talk directly with us and we can hear your thoughts on what we're reading and how it's informing your practice. And that book club hang will be available to uh, any any tier level on Patreon. So for as little as $2 a month, you can support the show on patreon.com slash in search of tarot. And we just want to thank you so much. Uh, those of you who already support us there, 100% of the financial support that we receive at, on Patreon ends up getting sent back out to our guests. And I hear a lot from people that join us on the show, how very grateful they are to receive that payment and how um, you know, not super common it is to receive payment for podcast episode appearances for various reasons. And you all really make that happen. So I just want to thank you for making it possible for us to pay all of the amazing people that we speak with and creating a, a truly reciprocal community where you are receiving, you know, their wisdom and being able to enjoy listening to them. And then they are, we are able to give back to them, all of us collectively through the form of financial payment. So thank you so much. All right. On to today's discussion with Nick and Angie. I know you're going to enjoy this one and I'll see you back here next week. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hello. Doing so well. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited for this conversation. I'm so happy that you decided to meet with me because, um, well, I'll just tell the listeners how I met you. So I started working at this little metaphysical shop 
in an area close to me. It's about 20 minutes north of me. And the owner of the store was like always telling me about you. They were always saying like, you have to meet Nick. They're so fantastic and you're going to love what they do. And when Brittany would tell me about what you would do, they would say, well, you know, they have like a whole somatic approach to their tarot. And I thought, I have no idea what that means, but okay. (laughs) Nick sounds awesome. So I want to give the uh, listeners an opportunity to, to hear who you are and what you do. And please tell everybody about your work. Hmm. Yes. Thank you. So my name is Nick. Um, My big three, I always lead with sharing that I'm a Virgo sun, Scorpio rising, Cancer moon. Um, And I run a platform called The Open Space. And in The Open Space, um, I'm oftentimes showing up as an embodiment guide, um, a writer, a community organizer, um, and an oracle. And so a lot of what I'm sharing is in recognition that we have these energetic bodies, we have these relational bodies, we have these collective bodies that are also existing in this human form. Mm-hmm. And embodiment for me has been a way to explore pulling a lot of my spiritual understanding and my energetic insight into my local neighborhood, into the relationships that I exist inside of. I would say that embodiment has been a pathway to integrity for me. And so a lot of what I'm sharing through my work is a way of exploring our fullness. What does that look like in a very practical way? How can we be in integrity with our core values and be in relationship in ways where we're reclaiming things that we've been disconnected from. And so a lot of my work is centered around doing that myself and then sharing it with others. Mm -hmm. See, this is what I'm so excited about because I think um, when I'm talking about the work that I do, which my area of interest also is in how the magic and the body intersect. And, um, And that was what Brittany was telling me about your work. And I didn't know exactly what that looked like. And we'll get to that in a second. But I think that that's why it's so hard to describe is because when we're talking about like magic in the body and embodiment and and all of those words, which um, that's like a conversation too, that we'll get to in just a second, but it, it just feels so vague. And what I want people to know is that this is how we bring the magic down from the etheric realm down into our hands, into what we can do and how we're transforming the world eventually, you know, um, can you tell us, so first let's go to, uh, talking about what embodiment is and what embodiment isn't or what somatics are. Cause you're a somatic therapist. Are you not? So I call myself a somatic practitioner mm-hmm. and I can kind of dive into a bit more about like verbiage and all of that if you want to, but yeah, I would like, I- yeah. I would like to, I mean, yes, let's talk about that. I think that what I I would love to clear up is somatics and embodiment is kind of like a buzzword right now. I've really noticed an increase of usage of that word and somatics just in preparation for this episode, I pulled up the definition of that and it said, 
on psychology today. It said somatic therapy is a form of body centered therapy that looks at the connection between mind and body and the uses between psychotherapy and physical therapies for holistic healing. And I think that's the, the catch 22 right here is when we're using words like buzzwords, like shadow work is kind of the other one that I feel like has been really popular in the last couple of years is when we are using this in holistic environments and esoteric environments, it starts to take on and become kind of interwoven with this like very woo and esoteric like interpretation. And then we start to lose what the word really means, you know, like what are we actually saying? And it reminds me of that part in The Princess Bride where Inigo Montoya is replying to Vizzini when he's saying the word inconceivable. And he's like, I don't think that means what you think it means. (laughs) I would love to hear you just expound on like embodiment and somatics. And when Mm. you call yourself yourself a somatic practitioner, what you feel that means for you. Mm. This is such a fun wormhole to go down. So I would like to start by sharing a part of my own embodiment practice, which the definition I use for embodiment is locating myself in time and space. Mm -hmm. And part of my embodiment practice recognizes that every time I check in, every time I consciously and intentionally check in with where I'm located in time and space, it's somewhere new. So my embodiment practice recognizes that I am constantly changing and I'm constantly transforming. And as a result, my relationship to how I have described my work is constantly changing and constantly transforming. Hmm. So when I shifted in my business to using verbiage like somatics, a lot of that was in recognition of like the certifications that I was going through and the coursework that I was just learning under and a lot of somatic work has a lineage there are different pathways and different models and um for me it felt like one way to explore gaining a body of knowledge Mm -hmm. so my background i have a master's degree in social work specifically concentrating in community organizing which recognizes how we are conditioned under systems of oppression and how language can be utilized to disconnect us from innate truths that are always inside of us. Mm -hmm. So my own kind of like progression and transformation in just the verbiage that I use to describe what I do has felt really conflicted for a very long time because embodiment has been a part of many cultural lineages for all of time. And that has been stigmatized, that has been um, exploited, that has been appropriated by European white folks. Mm -hmm. And so my own kind of journey with coming into a place where I can say like, this is where I've been, And this is how I've transformed. And this is where I'm landing now. Um, So much of my embodiment practice is just recognizing like, where am I not at now with my awareness? What, what information am I navigating on a physical plane, on a spiritual plane, on an intellectual plane? And for each person, that's going to look different because they're coming from a different access point. Their embodiment practice is going to look different. And so 
also as a Virgo Mercury, mm-hmm. <laughs> where language is so important to me. I talk a lot about how language is um, like a meeting point for ways that we want to be seen. And sometimes our verbal language falls short of what our bodies and our hearts and our spirits know to be true. And so I feel like I use words like somatic and embodiment to try to communicate a place that I'm located while also recognizing that it falls short of the full picture of what I'm navigating. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that I I come up, in fact, I think the first time that we spoke, I was describing that part of my struggle has been describing what I do. And I think similar to you, it's like you're giving these words as kind of an anchor point of like, well, this might feel familiar to you or you might have seen this. But what I do is only just a little bit of that, you know. Um, So what what when you're using a somatic approach or an embodied approach to your tarot um, or when you're speaking to people with all of this background, which I love the way that you address like the time, the time feels much more like layered as opposed to linear. And, and I would love to hear a little bit more about like your approach and how this folded into the tarot for you. So a lot of times when I'm exploring embodiment with folks, I'm asking them like which aspects of their self feel most accessible and that could be their physical self, their emotional self, their intellectual self, their energetic self, and kind of using that as an entry point into understanding who they are. For me, the part of myself that has always felt most accessible is my energetic and my spiritual body. Like there is no point in my like conscious memory that I feel like I've ever been disconnected from that even in recognition of all the trauma that I've gone through, which has fractured me from a lot of my sense of self, I have never felt fractured from my energetic and spiritual body. And so that has always been like my most accessible pathway into understanding not only my inner world, but like how to navigate (laughs) how confusing the external world has been for me Um, because I get very confused by the external world. And So when I started to learn to communicate myself through like energetic experiences, like sensation, I was asking people in my world, like, do you see this sign or symbol or do you feel this thing in your body? And a lot of the people were looking at me like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about, (laughs) you know, but like that's how I've experienced the world. Like I experienced the world in a very, um, like I talk a lot about how I know my energetic body is online when I feel a certain sensation in my jaw. And so I really navigated towards tarot because I'm also a very visual person. Like that's how I receive a lot of my messages. And so I'm like, oh, cool. Maybe I can literally use the visual of this picture to talk to people. So it's almost like tarot became, again, another way of like, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. Are you experiencing anything similar when you look at this card? Mm -hmm. Um, And then that became like a way that I became understood in the world. And so I started sharing embodied tarot as a way of saying like, this is a way that I've felt more seen. Mm -hmm. How might you also be able to see more of yourself 
and connect with the world around you through the imagery on these cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, I mean, we talk a lot on this podcast about the role of archetype and what archetype means. And so we're constantly talking about like, like how these figures and these symbolisms are constantly in flux. Like the meanings that we ascribe to them are moving because we are moving and the archetypes Mm -hmm. we collectively are moving together or individually moving, you know? And so it's like, the question I think I have right now is um, when you're reading for people, instead of kind of saying like, well, these are the keywords that are associated with this card. When you're, when you're feeling what the card is feeling, do you feel like you're inviting someone in with those keywords or do you, do they kind of follow up with like, oh, I'm seeing, say, for example, if they see gray in the imagery of the card, are they like, yeah, I feel that grayness. How does that look like? Mm. Yes, I, I definitely think things come through in colors, textures, sensations. I notice that a lot of what I'm sharing with folks through the cards is a story. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Could you say and there's this, this, that? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm feeling this distinction of like sometimes when I'm doing a reading and I pull a card, I feel drawn to share the very literal story of that card. Say I'm pulling like um the fool. And I start describing in a very literal way, this character is stepping off the edge of a cliff into the unknown. And I'm sharing this story of like description and facts Mm -hmm. and mirroring to them verbally. Like this is what the fool um, looks like. Sometimes when I pull the fool, there's a whole other story that's coming in for me that doesn't look like the little rep- literal representation of the card at all. Mm-hmm. And I may offer both of those stories. I may mm-hmm. say, here's the literal story and here's this whole other intuitive story that is also coming through. As like a side note, before I share my readings, I say to folks, um, or I encourage them to pay attention to light bulb moments. And the light bulb moments are when I'm sharing stories, sensations or thoughts that pop up in their own body about what I'm saying. Yeah. So after I share those stories, I say, is that landing anywhere for you? Like are parts of those stories setting off like sensations or pings in your body? And then we talk about those sensations and why their body might be responding to the story that I'm telling in that way. And so it's a very collaborative experience of like, I'm telling you a story what parts of that story feel relevant to you? Mm-hmm. I love that you said ping because that's the word that I use with my clients all the time too. Is like, is anything kind of pinging in here? Pinging. Or if they, like I always say, like if it drops in, because for lack of a better word, it feels like it is kind of like falling out of nowhere. Um, and oftentimes when I have that experience, it's like people will give me a story that they think is completely irrelevant. Like, oh, I don't know, this might sound weird, but, and then it ends up folding right in. Um, yes. Or something funny. I do. In preparation for this, this conversation, I pulled a card and our card was the two of swords. And mm. I think that is like such an, it's one of my favorite cards in the entire tarot deck. It's this one and, and two of pentacles that I really love. And I just feel like there's a lot about this card about the figure being blindfolded in the um, kind of the Rider weight imagery is like the figure being blindfolded with two swords across their chest. Right. And I think that there's like a lot of this process of embodiment that is asking you to trust in what you're feeling and not necessarily like 
know everything about it right away, you know, because a lot of times, especially when we're talking about like feeling and processing through the body, the first thing I think to go is our language. You know, it's like when kids um, are upset and their parents will yell at them to like, use your words. And it's like, when you're stressed out or when you're processing through the body, you may not have the words. And so like, you're kind of sensing by holding this and holding that it's both. And Um, Mm. so I I feel like that's a very, um, in the spirit of what we're uh, conversing about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, Um, I would say for me, it's, it's almost integral to the work that I do because I believe my, my purpose, my spiritual purpose is to open windows and doors for folks back into their fullness. Mm-hmm. And so embodiment is an invitation for folks to explore their own unique way of being in their truth. Mm-hmm. And it's super important to me that when folks come to me, they know that we are exploring their wisdom. Mm-hmm. I have my own unique wisdom and I have my own unique ways of tapping into my truth and excavating my truth. And also it is not my job to tell folks about themselves. Yes. I don't, that's my job to yes. tell folks about themselves. Um Absolutely. I also think that's a huge part of energetic consent. And what I'm really interested in is like reclamation mm-hmm. of the things that we've been disconnected from and fractured from and naming those things of like, what might be the reasons that you are coming to even see me? Mm-hmm. And how can you integrate ways of being with yourself so that an embodied self-trust is present moving forward. Embodiment for me is just an experiment. It's literally just like, there's, you can't fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't fail at checking in with where your body's at. Is When you determine where your body is at, where your heart is at, where your spirit is at, it's never wrong. It's mm-hmm. just information. And so when I'm sharing this insight, it is absolutely important to me that I'm asking folks like where is this landing for you Mm -hmm. and it does this resonate with you because even if it doesn't resonate with you that's embodiment yeah because you are finding your agency inside of that yes yeah there's there's a um I know and I know this um the asterisk here for listeners is that the work that Nick and I do are quite different but We, I I think that there's a lot of overlap when we're talking about the ways that embodied um, spiritual practices look. Sometimes we we notice like patterns and things like that. So when I'm leading somebody through a mindful or a, a movement meditation, rather, I'm giving them a couple of invitations and I might just say like, um, first we have to establish a feeling of safety in your body. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we like move back and forth or we shake or whatever until they start to find their groove. And then when they find their groove, there's inevitably, inevitably this spot where they start to like, it's almost like the, the, the movement is repeating itself inside of their body. Like it kind of looks like they're maybe starting a lawnmower or, um, like their jaw is aching or, 
um, their hip is moving or something like that. Something is repeating itself. And I'm like, oh, that that's the bit. And it starts to feel really uncomfortable because they don't like that it's repeating itself. And mm. so this movement, I feel like is exactly where I want people to stay. Like that's the meat and potatoes of what I want to get to in the movement meditation, because that's what needs to work itself out. And so for me, the stuff that doesn't feel good is just as important as the stuff that does feel good, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like exactly what you're saying of, of when we find ourselves in these spaces of inquiry, it's like just to find where that rub is, that is where the work is, you know, and it is uncomfortable mm-hmm. because to witness all the feelings that have been sitting in your body for so long, um, or the stories that have been sitting in your body for so long are deeply uncomfortable, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like the way that we can't witness them because when we're feeling these feelings, we're often at work or we're with family or in a place that's inconvenient to be mm-hmm. feeling these feelings. You know what I mean? And I think that that's probably part of the work is like connecting to those really gritty spots in an order to become more true to ourselves, more connected to the world around us, more connected to the collective. And I would love to kind of like lead this into the next kind of question that I have, which is when we're talking about, um, and I would love to hear your perspective on like organizing the somatics of liberation and, and creating a more equitable future by getting in tune with our bodies and the spirit of place in our individual and collective narratives. Like, how do you see that kind of rolling out? If we were all of us to start to participate in this kind of embodied spiritual practice, how how would you uh, like to see that kind of roll out? Yes. So <laughs> one of the most liberating things for me in having access to my energetic spiritual body was feeling into a collective experience of self where I was already um, interdependent. I was already existing inside of some greater network of like collaborative care. And I had never been a part of that. So there was this very real experience for me of like, this doesn't line up with my human physical experience inside of systems of oppression where disconnections and fractures are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so living inside of like the both and of like, both of these are my realities and I am embodying both. I am embodying this like spiritual interconnectedness while also having been conditioned and internalizing all of these ways of being like, hyper independence um and avoiding (laughs) yes and so I'm like this feels intensely uncomfortable and so what does it look like to be embodied in a way where there's like a reclamation of that interdependence without bypassing the reality of this like tangible form like Mm. I still exist in a world where this shit happens And so again, both and, what does it look like to be embodied in a way where I am tending to those fractures, where I'm being honest about those fractures, where I am asking questions about those fractures, because there are resources here, there is wisdom here, there is truth here that can 
support me in this process of being in collective spaces and navigating all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like the deeper knowing of oneself first. I feel like it's really important to kind of just start with yourself because, you know, you have to kind of um, be able to feel into those spaces in order to tend to that with other people, right? Like in order to show up for someone else or show up for um, like a group setting, I think in a really deep and emotionally intimate way, it means that you first have to get really intimate with yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that that kind of, it creates this um, domino effect, you know what I mean? And there are resources too. I think there's so many ways in which that we're all kind of asking ourselves the question of how we change all of this, you know? Mm. So I think my next question would be like, if you were to give someone, because my work also is very much like, I am, you know, I'm so glad that you trust me with this, but ultimately what I want for you to do is to know that you can attend to this at any time without my help, without anybody's help. You don't have to pay a penny. So when you are inviting someone to start their own, um, say they're, they're trying to do like a tarot and embodied practice, like how would you advise that that might look for someone? So I'm oftentimes um, asking a lot of questions about access points, um, particularly through tarot. I noticed a lot of people are drawn to that if they're visual, if they are someone who feels drawn to color, shape, the story. And not everyone necessarily has an access point to their sense of self visually. Mm-hmm. So for some folks, the access point could be um, their physical sensations. When I ask this question, how does your body physically respond? Do your shoulders cave in? Does your posture change? Um, and that is something that feels very like real to some people, very accessible. And then for others, it's emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of folks, it's the intellect. They kind of want to come in. And I talk a lot about how that can be like a safety mechanism. Like they want to come in through the thoughts because it's like, <laughs> this is the yeah. most well-worn pathway. And then we might drop into something else. I'm like, cool. Like, whatever your access point is, and like, there's an awareness there that that's what you're using. And also consider that there's other access points to your sense of self. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I noticed that there's like, um, at different times in people's embodiment journey, like they're drawn to, sometimes people might meet with me for an embodiment session and be like, hey, today, can we use the tarot? Like, mm-hmm. can we use visuals, signs, symbols, archetypes to help me drop into a certain place. And other times folks are like, can we just talk about this movie that I watched last night and how that made me feel? And so each person has their own unique access points for how they're coming in to that understanding of themselves. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really, really cool. And I think that, I mean, you could probably reverse engineer that, you know, like you're starting off with sensation and then you're kind of using the tool, uh, tarot as a reflective tool or vice versa, right? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. This is so cool. It's really cool (laughs) to 
to be speaking with someone who kind of also deals with the body because I feel like it's it's just niche enough that yes <laughs> exactly it's kind of work so I'm kind of um geeking out a little bit here on the other side of the microphone so um what is a card that you feel or you find yourself embodying in this moment and phase of life. I, I know that it'll oscillate from time to time, but if you had to give us maybe a card or an archetype. Mm. So I've been saying that this is my um, page of cups year. This has 100% been my page of cups year because I have felt such a deep connection to my tenderness, to this feeling of like, the sensual, like romantic, like undergirding of like everything. Like I want to make everything romantic. Um, <laughs> and like my environment and when I make a cup of tea and I just, that has felt like such a distant part of myself. That has felt like a part of myself that I had to push away for a really long time because tenderness didn't feel safe mm -hmm. and so I have intentionally and actively um talked about it to people like I went and got this tattoo a few months ago these little strawberries on my ankle and I told people like this is a page of cups thing and it's just page of cups page of cups everything almost just as a way to like remind myself like embody this energy be present with this and so yeah. I'm really living my best life here with the yeah. page of cups there's, it's like, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of things here because I'm very much in the same energy this year. It's been more about like exploring pleasure as a form of, um, protest, I guess, um, as a form mm. of, protest, which I love. Um, Adrian Marie Brown has a book called pleasure activism, which is a wonderful book wonderful book highly recommend for anybody who's kind of looking for the, the, the that intersection as well um but it reminds me of this interview that i saw a couple of years ago i think this was like 2017 um it's an interview of angela johnson's where i think it's like an afropunk um interview but she was talking about like meditation and how you know what she learned about um the panthers and if there had been like a role or more of an emphasis on like meditation and self-care, how the movement might've looked really different. And mm. I find that super, super interesting. It was like, she was remarking on how, what they perceived as being really radical was like a dogged, absolutely like, um, kind of tireless fight and, and to let go of that kind of performance of, radical resistance, right. In the form of like never letting yourself rest is actually maybe the mm -hmm. thing that everybody because you got so tired after a while. And, and, um, you know, I find that really interesting, but like joy as resistance and what a powerful tool that can be if we let ourselves sink into that pleasure. Mm -hmm. you know? I relate so much that honestly. So when I got out of grad school, I moved to LA and I just back to back, I was, you know, undergrad, grad school, moved across the country. I was working in an organization, a community organization where I was working like 80 hours a week. And we were addressing all of these like macro level policy changes. And I'm like, yes, 
we're here, we're doing the thing. And it's all going to trickle down to my individual sense of self. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to touch any of, you know, the fact that I'm not sleeping enough and I'm not eating enough. And I can't even tell when I need to go to the bathroom, but Hey, if I, if I tackle all these big level things like that, the rest of that will just swell itself. And I literally, my body just shut down after Mm -hmm. doing that for 10 months straight. My body was like, no, that's, we're not doing that. And that, that was one of my pathways into coming into embodiment mark was like, oh, I can't neglect either of these bodies. Mm-hmm. Thinking that I can be so present with the collective body and disregard my individual body was not going to work either. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like the looking at like the subtleties of awareness when you have something shift in your energy is also the same awareness that we we can apply to like looking at the state of our climate or our earth or our, um, you know, it's like, if there's tension in a group environment, like being able to sense that is such a powerful tool. And, and then I think we come back to like how archetype can be so helpful in decoding what it is we're sensing or mirroring it back to ourselves, you know? Mm, That's brilliant. I love that idea of decoding through the archetype. I feel mm-hmm. like you could probably go down a whole wormhole with that too. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we could. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in that, in the spirit of that, I want to kind of imagine for just a moment, because we're, we're kind of winding down here into like the last little bit of our conversation, but I want to talk about like in the way that we're imagining, right? We're imagining these new futures imagining new ways that these cards might reflect ourselves back to ourselves. Mm. You know, what can we say to like the future, the, the future mystics and the future makers about how we live and embody the future now? Mm. Yes. So what instantly popped into my mind was this um, visual of multidimensionality and nonlinearity. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, about how embodiment shows up in my life. Like I'm not just like this forward facing version of myself. I'm also my back. Oh yeah. Um, and so in like non-linear embodiment and future could be in any direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I think about what it looks like to even access the future, it could be at any point. It, it it could be at any edge, anywhere where we can kind of like peel something back and explore just beyond. And so my encouragement would be for folks to consider or get really curious about like, if we're having a hard time, like progressing forward, like, can you go deeper? Mm-hmm. Can you move to the left? Can you reach up into the side? Can you just lay down and how does the world look differently when you lay down like there are so many access points to get to the future in nonlinear time that just being creative about how we're accessing those places can just break shit wide open and it can be a way to recognize that a lot of us um the way our brains work are just different mm-hmm. like one person's future could be accessible one way versus someone else's way. And so 
that's the importance of being in a collective of like, hey, this is what I can access from my vantage point. Like, what can you access from where you're at? You don't have to be where I am. Like, as a matter of fact, like you stay right there (laughs) because your, your vision is helping us all out because I can't see from where you're at. Let us know what you see. Mm -hmm. Um, So rather than us all needing to have the same vision or us all becoming like carbon copies of one another, can we stay different? Can we presence variants so that our future is more multidimensional? So our future isn't just so linear too. I feel like that is a way that we can carry embodiment with us as we go. Yeah, I, that's like, I love that perspective because I think so many times when someone offers a bit of wisdom to me and I go, oh, why didn't I think of that? And I immediately kind of go into this like, oh shoot, I'm not smart enough or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever story is popping into my mind, right? But it's exactly what you said because otherwise it would be like, you know, reading from a deck that every card is the fool, right? Like it does no good to have the same card 75 times or 78 times, whatever, it's, it's like your perspective getting creative could, as you said, just mean stepping one step to the left, Mm -hmm. um, or having someone offer their perspective because their lived experience is different from yours. And, you know, anyway, it's just, it's brilliant. And I think that that is key. I feel like we could go on a million different tangents here. (laughs) So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this last question and then we'll, kind of close out, but what are you in search of right now? Mm -hmm. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is connection, um, belonging, um, questions, always questions, um, and also peace, which I don't think I would have allowed myself to verbalize in, in previous versions of myself, but I'm definitely in search of peace. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, Nick, before we close out, will you please let the people know where they can find you and any offerings that you might have coming up? Yes. So my hub the space where I post um, most everything is on my website, which is theopenspacelancaster.com. I'm also pretty active on Instagram and my handle is embodied.intuitive. And my um, most excited offering that I am sharing in the next month or so is something called Embody the Tarot where I am going to be sharing an ongoing series of workshops and we're going to be beginning with embodying the fool. Um, So that will be a live workshop, which is also available for folks in replay if they can't make it in real time. I love that. Thank you for offering the recordings. I feel like for, I'm uh, a mom um, and Mm. I'm so grateful for any of the offerings that are still happening. Um, through the pandemic, you know, and so many people have coming, they're coming back to in-person offerings, which is wonderful, but I would, I'm still so appreciative of people who are offering those recordings. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your conversation. You are a brilliant person. Also, everyone, please mm-hmm. go. If you don't um, have threads, which is kind of like um, the Instagram version of Twitter, Nick is very, yeah. very active on threads and I love everything they post. So definitely mm-hmm. 
stuff there. Anyway, thank, thank you so much, Nick. Thank you. This has been such a treat. Thanks for having me. In Search of Tarot is independently written, recorded, edited, and transcribed by Nick Kepley and Angie Miller. You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore, that's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore. And you can follow me, Nick, on Instagram at In Search of Tarot. Have a question or a comment? Email us at isotpod at gmail.com. We also invite you to leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.